Good morning, church. Man, what a blessing. Isn't God good? God is so good. It is a privilege and a blessing for me to be a part of today's service with you as we kick off this new series called Windows. And I'm really excited because I love Windows. Not the operating system. I'm more of a, a Mac guy. I love Windows, the kind you can see through. Uh, if you asked Joanne after the service, she'd say I'm, I'm actually not being fully forthright. I don't just love Windows. I'm kind of obsessed, actually. I'm obsessed with Windows. Uh, like, we were watching a TV show at home not too long ago where the main character has this really nice house on a hill, and she's talking about the storyline and the characters, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But look at the windows. Look at that view. It's amazing. When we go on vacation, I don't care about the bed. I don't care about the, what the room looks like. What can you see through the window? This is how I decide. I love windows. I've spent time looking through all sorts of wonderful windows in my life. Uh, windows, looking through lake views, mountain views, ocean views, city views, country views. I love looking through windows. But it's not actually the windows that I love. I don't really care too much about the design of the window or how many panes it has. What I really love is what you can see through the window. A window lets you see into a different part of the world. I'm inside, but I can see outside. I'm on one side of the glass, but I can see what's on the other side of a glass. And a good window helps you do two things. A good window lets you see what's on the other side, and then a good window makes you actually want to go out and experience what's on the other side, to go hike in the mountains, to go swim in the lake, to go walk on the beach. The subtitle of this series is Parables That Paint a Picture. It's really small. I don't know if you can read that. Parables That Paint a Picture. And in this series, we're going to be looking at some of the parables that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And a parable is a story that illustrates a deeper meaning. And Jesus used parables all the time. It was one of the main ways that he taught. And you might say that these parables are like little windows through which you can see a different way of living, through which you can see what the gospel writers call the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Often Luke calls it the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? Simply put, it's what life looks like when God is the king. The kingdom of God is the new way of life that is made possible by Jesus, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And the kingdom of God is a big deal in the Gospels. Luke mentions it 38 times, 38 times in one book. In Luke 4, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. So as Jesus thought about his mission, it was to tell us about the kingdom of God. So each week in this uh, series, we're going to be looking at one of the parables uh, that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to talk about two things. We'll ask two questions. Number one, what does this parable teach us about life in God's kingdom? And number two, what might, it be look, what might it look like for us to get off the couch and actually go experience life in God's kingdom? This week, we're looking at Luke chapter 5. And this is the very first parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And in many ways, it sets the tone for all of the others that we'll look at in this series. And so, Jesus is in the conversation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and we're going to pick it up in Luke 5, verse 36. Hear the word of the Lord. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. 
No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. May God bless the reading of his word. About 24 years ago, some weird stuff started to happen with Joanna. She woke up one morning and she started feeling nauseated. And then every day around the same time, she would get sick to her stomach. And then I noticed that she was going to Sonic every day and getting these orange creamsicle drinks. I don't know if you've had these. I mean, she was drinking them like water. Soon after that, she started buying a new wardrobe with these pants with stretchy waistbands. Not because of the creamsicles, I promise. What, what was happening? She was pregnant, exactly. She was pregnant. All these things that were happening, nausea, the cravings, everything else, they were signs that something new was coming. I got permission for that story, by the way, even the waistband part. <laughs> they were signs that something new was about to happen that was going to change everything for our family. That's the feeling I get when I read the first part of the Gospel of Luke. There's sign after sign after sign that something new is happening. If you're following along with us in the growth guide, and I hope you are, what a blessing that is. If you're following along in the growth guide, you read about several of the new things uh, that, that are coming. In Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Mary and tells her that God is sending a new king to sit on the throne of David. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist talks about a new kind of baptism that Jesus is going to bring. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he turns in the scroll of Isaiah to the place where it talks about a new kingdom that God's going to bring. And then, just to make matters even more stunning, he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. Luke is going to great pains to show us that something new is coming. And just like the, the signs that Joanna was experiencing signal that something new was happening that was going to change our family forever, Luke is signaling for us something new is coming that's going to change the world for everyone, forever. And in Luke 5, it's officially started. Jesus is doing really, really unexpected stuff. He's claiming to forgive sins. He's healing people. He seems to be ignoring all of the traditions of his people. He, he is hanging out with the people he's not supposed to hang out with. He's doing stuff on the Sabbath day he's not supposed to do. And, and, and the religious leaders are starting to get really, really nervous. And, and the Pharisees get a bad rap, but if you and I were in their place, we'd probably start getting nervous too, because we all get nervous when, when things start changing. When someone comes to your office and they start making you do everything differently, when someone comes to your church and starts changing everything, we start to get nervous, don't we? Because it's threatening, it's scary, and that's how the religious leaders were feeling. And so they start complaining to Jesus and his disciples, hey, we don't know what's happening here, we don't like all of this new, you're, you're not doing the stuff you're supposed to, what you're doing doesn't fit in our religious boxes. And against that backdrop, Jesus tells this parable. And this parable reveals some really important things about what life in God's kingdom is like, and we find out that it's way bigger than the religious leaders thought. And it's way bigger than we often think as well. So let's, let's take a look. Let's take a look. He uses two different images in this parable, clothes and wine, to help them understand the new kingdom that he came to bring. First, clothes. Verse, verse 36. He says, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. The idea here is you can't use the new to patch the old. You can't just take a piece from a new garment and patch it on an old fabric. My son Joshua, who's here uh, today uh, with us, he got married last month, and I bought a brand new suit for the occasion. First suit I'd bought in a long, long time. 
nice charcoal gray suit. Uh, and what, now let's say I have a pair of old jeans at home that have a hole in the knee. How wise would it be for me to take a pair of scissors, cut a big patch out of the suit pants, and use it to patch the jeans? It wouldn't make any sense, right? I mean, for one thing, I would ruin the new suit. And listen, I'm cheap. I'm planning on wearing that suit for a long time. I'd ruin the new suit. But secondly, even the jeans would look ridiculous if there was a piece of suit fabric there at the knee. It doesn't make any sense to use the new to patch the old. But that's just what Jesus said the religious leaders were trying to do. They were trying to take what Jesus was doing and to force it onto their old system, their old way of thinking about God and his kingdom. And he says, not only does the new not match the old, if you try to patch the old with the new, you're going to ruin them both. Then he moves from clothes to wine. In the next verse, verse 37, he says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And the idea here is not that you can't use the new to patch the old, but that you can't use the old to catch the new. You can't just take new wine and pour it in old wineskins. Back in those days, the way they stored wine was different from the way, do, way, the way we do today. It wasn't stored in uh, bottles. It was stored in these bags or sacks that were made out of animal skin. And, and when the skins were new, they were strong and flexible, which is a really good thing when you're storing wine because when you first pour the grape juice in, over time it starts to ferment. And as it ferments, it emits carbon dioxide gas and the volume in there grows, it expands. And the new, skin, the, the new skins are strong and flexible and they can expand to contain the larger volume. But over time, the skins get, uh, get harder and more brittle, kind of like us, right? The skins get harder, more brittle, less flexible, which is okay if the wine is old because it's not emitting any carbon dioxide gas anymore. But if you put new wine into the old brittle skins, it's fine for a few minutes. But then when, the, when it starts to ferment and it starts to expand, the old skins just can't take it. They're not flexible enough. They're not strong enough. And they end up bursting. And you do two things. You ruin the old skins and you lose the new wine. You can't use the old to catch the new. So this is similar to what Jesus is saying about the clothes, but except in, this time, instead of trying to take a little bit of the new and patch the old, he's saying you can't, you can't just take the, all of the new and try to squeeze it into the old container. You can't take the message about the kingdom and squeeze it into the old way of thinking. It's too dynamic. The skins can't hold it. Eventually, it'll burst. New wine, he says, calls for new wineskins. And the new message that Jesus was bringing calls for a brand new way of thinking, a brand new way of seeing the world. And that brings us really to the main idea of the message and the main idea of these parables. This is what the, the window of this parable is helping us see about life in God's kingdom. And here it is. Life in God's kingdom is new, not just improved. It's new, not just a little bit better. Over the years, one of the phrases that has appeared most often in advertising campaigns is new and improved. You've seen this before, haven't you? New and improved. It's usually used by marketers on a product you're already familiar with one that you may already be using, but they want to get you excited about it again. So they make some small tweak and they call it new and improved. So maybe the crackers are a little bit crunchier. Maybe the paper towels are a little more absorbent. I read an article last week about a yogurt company uh, that, that made a change. They, they changed the amount of yogurt in their containers from eight ounces to six ounces, but they kept the containers the same size. 
And they called it new and improved, so, so, so serious, because you had more room for your toppings in the container. So new and improved was trading yogurt for air. It's new and improved. A lot of life is about new and improved. And sometimes, here's the, here's the point, sometimes people think that way about their faith in Christ. They say, Jesus will take your current life and make it just a little bit better. You get to keep what you had before, but you add a little bit of Jesus on top. I like to call this cherry on top theology. In other words, my life is a wonderful hot fudge Sunday, and Jesus is just like the cherry right on top that just makes it that much better. Now, in this view of faith, you're still in charge. You still have your old life, and Jesus comes in and improves it. You still have your agenda, and Jesus comes in and helps you accomplish it. You still have your goals, and Jesus comes in and helps you achieve them. That's how a lot of people view faith in Christ, but friends, that's not how Jesus talks about life in God's kingdom. Jesus says life in God's kingdom isn't just improved, it's new. It's brand new. And if you try to just add a little patch of Jesus onto the old pair of pants, you're missing the whole point. Because Jesus doesn't want to just patch up your old life, friend. He wants to trade your life out for a brand new one. Before I was in ministry, I was a CPA for six years, and I worked uh, at a CPA firm downtown. We were in this building at the time. It was called Chase Tower. Adam, I don't know what it's called now. Do you know? We don't know. It's the one with a hole in the top. You've seen the kind of northeast side of downtown. We were on the 16th floor, and uh, that's where my office was. But on the 40th floor was this amazing place called the Sky Lobby. I loved, loved, loved the Sky Lobby. So uh, on the Sky Lobby, it's really high ceilings, probably about as tall as in here almost, and, and windows that extend from the floor to the ceiling. Did I mention how I feel about windows? <laughs> it was amazing. You could see downtown on one side. On the other side, you could stand there and you could watch the planes landing and taking off at Love Field. It was so cool. I love going up to the Sky Lobby, but here's what's interesting. If, it was, if I was in my office on the 16th floor and I wanted to get up to the Sky Lobby on 40, I couldn't just get in the elevator and go up because our elevator only went up to 16. I had to get in the elevator and go down to the bottom floor, get on a different elevator, and go up to the 40th floor. You actually can't get from 16 to 40 unless you start over. And the same, friends, is true in God's kingdom. Coming to Jesus is not just starting on whatever floor you're on and letting Jesus take you up a notch or two. Coming to Jesus is letting you take you back to square one and start over and have a new life. And when you do, when you do, don't miss this, you'll find out that he takes you to heights you never imagined. Okay, so that's good in the abstract, but let's get a little more specific. What does it mean? What does it really mean that life in God's kingdom is brand new? Well, I want to mention two specific things, two implications of this message. First of all, in, in God's kingdom, there's a new way to relate to God. The Jewish people were used to relating to God through the law, through observing all the commands that Moses gave them, uh, through making sacrifices, through different ceremonies and, and celebrations. But now Jesus is here and he's making everything new. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus says something so interesting to me. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. In other words, he said, I haven't come to, to contradict what God commanded in the past. I'm actually the fulfillment of what God commanded in the past. That's amazing, isn't it? Everything that happened in the past, Jesus says, was pointing to me. 
That's why in the passage right before ours, he told the Pharisees they didn't need to fast as a sign of waiting for the Messiah anymore. That's the reason the the Pharisees fasted. It was waiting for the Messiah. And he said, you don't need to wait anymore. You don't need to fast anymore because I'm here now. And that's the reason that we don't make animal sacrifices anymore. That was the way people were related to God before Jesus, to, to be the atoning sacrifice for their sins. But Jesus is the ultimate atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we don't need to make sacrifices anymore. Jesus is saying there is a brand new way to relate to God and it is through me. Sometimes I think we downplay just how bold and stunning of a statement that is. He's saying the only way to God is through me. John 14, he says it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, what is, how does it end? Through me. So the implication of this, church, if you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. If you want to get to know what God says, listen to what Jesus says. Friends, that's why it's so important for us to spend time reading this book, meditating on this book, memorizing this book. This is the word of God. It is God's word. It is the way that we get to know Jesus, and Jesus is the way we relate to God. In God's kingdom, there's a new way to relate to God, and it's through Jesus. That's the main point he was trying to make to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that day. But there's another implication for us. And here it is. In God's kingdom, not only is there a new way to relate to God, in God's kingdom, there's a new way to live. When we come to Jesus in faith, he doesn't just put a, a little patch on our old life. He replaces it. He doesn't just pour a, a little bit of new wine into our old container. He gives us a new container. I think the way Paul describes this in Galatians 2 is beautiful. Let's put this up on the screen. Paul does not say, I have been patched up by Christ and my life is a little bit better. He says, I have been, say it with me, crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Boy, that is different, isn't it? That's why when we celebrated baptism a few minutes ago, which was so beautiful, did you hear? Did you hear what the people baptizing said? They said, buried with Christ in baptism, not changed a little bit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a little bit better. No, newness of life. When we come to Jesus, friends, our old life is buried. And just as Jesus was raised to life on Easter Sunday morning, we are raised to new life in Christ. And when you experience new life in Christ, what you find is that the old ways just don't fit anymore. The old ways just don't fit the way they used to. And and we're constantly tempted to try to take a little Jesus and and, and to fit it into our own wineskins, our old ways of thinking. But Jesus, friends, wants to take our old way of view in the world and replace it with something brand new. I want to give you just a few Uh, illustrative examples of what this might look like. And in your grow groups today and later this week, you're going to brainstorm a lot more, but I want to give you three three quick examples of how we can do this. So uh, one of our old wineskins is the idea that our value is determined by the opinions of others. Anybody else ever felt this way? I have felt this way. Our value is based on what others think of us. And, And we all want to have value, right? So we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can get other people to be impressed by us. We focus on our appearance so people will be impressed with the way we look. We focus on our uh, achievements so others will be impressed with what we've done. We focus on earning a lot so others will be impressed with what we have. And here's what happens. When we become a Christian, it's tempting to keep using that same wineskin, but just pour a little Jesus in it. 
So we still base our value on what others think of us. It's just that we try to impress other Christians instead of everybody. And the way we try to impress other Christians is not with what we have or what we earn or what we wear. It's what we do. It's how good we are. See how that works? We've taken the old system and we've kept it the same, but we've just tried to pour a little Jesus into it. But he doesn't want to just pour a little of himself into our old container. He wants to trade it out because in God's kingdom, our value is not based on what other people say about us. Our value is based on what God has said about us. Our value is not based on uh, what we have achieved or accomplished. Our value is based on what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Second example. Another one of our old garments is the idea that safety is found in circumstances. If we can just get our circumstances just right, then we'll be safe. Then we won't have to worry. We won't have to be anxious. And we all want to be safe and secure, so we spend a lot of time and energy trying to get our circumstances just right. You know, our health, our job, our finances, our relationships. And, and when inevitably we can't get our circumstances just right, we've got to fill in that gap and we fill it in with anxiety and worry and fear. Now, when we become a Christian, it's tempting to keep that same view of the world, keep wearing that same garment, but just put a Jesus patch on top. We still find our safety and security in circumstances, but now, in addition to working really hard to get our circumstances right, we also pray that God will make our circumstances right. And sometimes, sometimes he does trade our circumstances out, but many times he doesn't, and we end up filling the gap with anxiety and worry again. You see, we, we've kept the system the same, and that is our safety is found in our circumstances. We've just tried to pour a little prayer into it, a little bit of Jesus into it. But friends, again, Jesus doesn't want to just patch the old garment. He wants to give you a new one. Because in God's kingdom, safety is not found in your circumstances. Safety is found in your Savior. Many times God does fix our circumstances, but even when he doesn't, friends, the very safest place in the world to be is with Christ our Savior. No matter what happens, we are completely safe because he loves us. Third and final example. One of our old wineskins is the idea that the answer to our country's problems, and there are many, that the answer to our country's problems is found in politics and politicians. Does that make you nervous? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, I promise. <laughs> I'm going to talk about something much more important than that. We, we think the old system is if we can just get the right people in office, if we can just get the right laws passed, then everything is going to be great. And of course we want our, our country's problems to get fixed, so we spend a lot of time watching our favorite cable news shows or you know, reading about our favorite politicians or maybe being on social media and telling everybody how dumb the people on the other side of the aisle are. Now, when we become a Christian, it's tempting to keep using that same wineskin, but just pour a little Jesus in it. So, so we still spend a lot of time worrying about politics and talking about politics, but now we make sure to consider our Christian values as one of the factors that we evaluate, and we pray that our candidate wins and the other candidate loses. See how it works? We've kept the system the same. Our ultimate hope is found in politics and politicians, and we just try to pour a little Jesus in. But Jesus doesn't want to fit in the old container. He wants to trade it out. Because, friends, in God's kingdom, our hope is not found in politics. Our hope is not found in politicians. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. Politics is extremely important. It is our responsibility as citizens of this nation to engage in politics in Christ-honoring ways. But don't miss this. Never miss this. Politics is important, but it's never ultimate. 
It's never ultimate because Jesus is our king and he has no rival. And when we put him first, everything else falls into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Does that make sense? You see how it works? We, we try to take our old system and pour a little Jesus in. The enemy is so subtle in the way that he tempts us to do this. I love one, the way one commentator put it, though. He said, Jesus' word is meant as a total replacement, not as a source of useful patches. Friends, Jesus did not come to make your life just a little bit better. He came to replace it and give you a brand new one. Praise God. Now, at the end of the passage, Jesus gives us a warning, and it's one that we would all do well to heed. In verse 39, he says, And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Now, this is a little confusing to our modern ears because in our culture, the older the wine, the more valuable it is. So we say, well, of course the old is better, but that's not the way things were thought of in Bible times, and that's not the point Jesus is making. He wasn't making a comment on what vintage Chardonnay is, is best. What he was saying, listen to this, is once people get used to the old way, it's really hard to get them to look at anything new or to try anything new. Because they just want to stick with what they know. We just want to stick with what we know. This is a real danger for us, friends. When we've been living in one way for many years, it is scary to try something new. When we've lived for many years thinking that we need to hold on to our money with a vice grip in order to be safe, it's really scary to open our hands and start living generously, isn't it? When we've lived for many years thinking that the only way we can be happy is if everybody else is impressed with us, it's scary to start living humbly and to focus more on our character than our outward appearance. When we've lived for many years thinking that we've got to fight for our rights, we've got to stand up for ourselves, we've got to look out for number one because nobody else is, it's very scary to start sacrificing our own needs, our own preferences for someone else. It's scary because it's new. It's scary because it's different. We don't know how it's going to turn out. It feels dangerous. But friends, it's worth it. It's worth it because Jesus is worth it. Because life in God's kingdom is worth it. And now I love, I love this as we close. The images that Jesus uses in this passage aren't just a picture of what life looks like in God's kingdom. They're actually the way that we can step into it. They are a picture of the price that Jesus paid so we could enter the kingdom. This isn't just a parable, it's actually also a prophecy. Because a few years after Jesus told this parable, he gave his life on the cross so that we could actually live in the kingdom of God. And think about this on the cross, it wasn't a garment that was torn. It was the body of Christ. It was his flesh. On the cross, it wasn't wine that was poured out. It was the blood of our Savior Jesus who was poured out. Jesus didn't just spend his life teaching about the kingdom of God. Friends, Jesus gave his life so that we could live in the kingdom of God. So that we could step into it and live a brand new kind of life. A life where all of our sins are forgiven. A life where we are seen as holy and blameless in God's sight. A life where we've been adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. A life where we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
A life where the Holy Spirit renews us day by day. A life where we find meaning and purpose and hope and joy in Jesus. A life where all things work together for God's glory, for our good in Christ. A life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. A life where the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. Where he leads us beside still waters. Where he makes us lie down in green pastures. Where he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies and where goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life and where we will live in the house of the Lord forever. So friends, let's come to Jesus and let's let him make us new. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this beautiful parable that 2,000 years later still captivates our heart. Thank you for the new life that we can have in you. Thank you that you didn't just paint the picture of what it looks like, but you gave your life on the cross so that we could experience it. We praise you. We thank you. We exalt you. We lift you up today. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.